All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up about 564 points, or 1.8%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 31 points, or 8 tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 272 points, or 2.1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.9%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 2.3%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up two-tenths of 1%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, you know, now that I was off on last weekend's Money Wise program, I, I want to remind the listeners, because it was, what, three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, we had mentioned that the NASDAQ and at the pace that it came out of the blocks for the year, and I think you calculated, Jeff, that it was moving at an annualized clip of about 63%, and we said on the show, you know, it's ripe for a corrective pullback. Well, it's here. Yeah. I mean, it is here from the leading index now to the lagging index between the S&P and the Dow. Yeah, I think it was the show before – the snowmageddon snowmageddon uh, yes when we when we when we had mentioned that and, and just to give a little bit of you know background a little bit of recent history in the nasdaq that what is happening right now with this if you want call it a correction call it what you will this is not unusual for the nasdaq to behave this way as a matter of fact just here in the last 6 7 months the, S, the, the NASDAQ had a correction in the month of September of 2020 of about 14%. Then it ran up about a little over 10%, followed by another correction of approximately 10% between oh, the second week of October and about the first week of November in 2020, only to run back up about another 10% into the end of the year. Now, we did not end – well, actually, we did end 2020 on an all-time high for the NASDAQ, 
And it went on in February to reach another all-time high. It was a low, I think it was like 14,100 thereabouts on the NASDAQ. And yes. now we've pulled back, you know, on Friday intraday, at one point we had a little bit more than a 10% correction, correction in the NASDAQ. Now, by the time we closed on Friday, it had closed higher. And so on a closing price basis, the NASDAQ is not down 10% from its high, but we have had three weeks in a row that the NASDAQ was down for the week. Now, is this the end of capitalism as we know it? And the answer is no, it's not. Uh, and it's not the end, and it's not the end of higher valuation technology stocks. And that's the reason why three, three weeks ago, right before Snowmageddon, this is why we mentioned it because at, at the, the immense clip that, the NASDAQ was increasing in value and the valuations for a lot of these mega cap technology names that we all know, household names, were just, their valuations were getting stretched thinner and thinner and thinner. And we knew that the, 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 the NASDAQ wasn't going to be up annualized 63%. We knew that a corrective move was coming. But I think the thing that we should really discuss on the show is the difference between a trade and a trend. And I think when we were discussing, I feel that when we were discussing a correction in the NASDAQ, we were talking more of a corrective trade as opposed to a corrective trend. Trends tend to last a longer period of time. I mean, what are your thoughts, Jeff, Joe? Well, I well, go ahead, Joe. Well, a couple of things that I have noticed, obviously, you, there are some things that are turning into be trends. If you look at the financial sector and the energy sector, these are not specifically, I would say, trades. Because for the last three to four months, you've seen these particular industries and the and starting the, to get stop, love a little bit more love. love and consolidate. You're seeing that trend upwards, and there's no doubt. Probably through the second part of the year, especially with the current administration, what do you think the energy sector is going to do? But uh, along with that, look at some of the regional banks and the banks in that sector. The financials have done a little bit better, also. But Jeff and I were just talking about this Friday. You know, there's a lot of trading going on. Uh, Friday and at certain times this week, and a lot of it's based off of the of the Treasury and what we're seeing with rates fluctuating a little bit. Right. Yeah. That's that. That's been the, the headline of the increase in volatility. The the cover story. The, the cover story. Thank you, Kyle. And and the, and the Nasdaq declining in value. Yeah. Sure. The valuation and and how much the Nasdaq is up versus the other major market indices in comparison. The, the, the one, the, the top headline has been interest rates. And one we cannot deny, you know, as of you know, Friday, uh, the 10-year Treasury yield is, is up close to 60%. Now, let me kind of, <laughs> yeah. let me, let me, let me, I use that, I'm going to fully explain what 60% means. It means that we started the year at about a 1% yield and we're at about a 1.6% yield rounded off on a 10-year treasury as of close of business Friday. So that's how you get a 60% increase in yields. And that's going to get the market's attention. And I'm sure that we could go back and pull up charts about time periods in the past when interest rates made a substantial percentage move and the markets took a little bit of a pause from that. And and the, the asset classes or the, the groups of stocks that would take the brunt of the uh, 
selling, the client really. value, the selling, <laughs> the selling pressure, if you will, are going to be the stocks that ha- that are have the higher price to earnings pro- profiles, which are typically these higher growth na- in, in this market environment are the higher growth name tech stocks. And it's no surprise that the Nasdaq has been has been the index that's been taking it on the chin here lately. The question is, how much longer does it go on? How much lower does it go for the Nasdaq? That's the question. Well, We'll have to wait and see, but I definitely want to, when we come back from the first commercial break, just want to talk about a brief conversation I had with a client of ours out of Buda who was in our office this past week and the conversations we had about the 10-year treasury. So we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So I want to continue our conversation from the first segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program and just kind of the cover story for the selling and the selling pressure we've really seen over the last couple of weeks and all the broader indexes, whether it's the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, although I will say that the Dow and the S&P made their weeks on what day, gentlemen? made their week on Friday. How many times have we seen that and how many times have we talked about it on the Money Wise program? How many of these broader indexes make their entire week on the last trading day of that week? Because Coincidence? I think not. Yeah, well, except for the NASDAQ. I mean, the NASDAQ was down 2.1% for the week, but that index has been taking it on the chin for the last several weeks. But I wanted to talk, you know, we, the, the cover story has been this, this rise in interest rates for the 10-year Treasury. Now, we all know, and we've talked about it ad nauseum on this program, and I know Dad listening to the show would not want us to spend more than 25 seconds talking about the Federal Reserve. I know he's going to pull out his stopwatch. The F word. That's what we call yeah, it. The the F, F word. Yeah, the F. We won't say Fed anymore. Yeah. Well, you just, we'll use the F word. <laughs> Joe, you just, Joe, you just used the F word. Yeah, it's, it's, okay. one of, it's one of the it's one of the seven deadlies fed, on radio. Right. Come on, fed, fed, fed. It's one of the seven deadlies in a okay. financial talk show. All so, right. anyways, so Jeff, you were just talking in the last segment how we've seen almost a sixty percent move in the yield on the ten-year Treasury. We started the year at about one percent. Right. It's moved to one point five seven three percent on the close Friday, close to a sixty percent move, and that's been the cover story for why we've been seeing selling particularly in the higher valuation, higher flying tech names as the cover story. But here's the thing. And I had this conversation with a client of ours that came into our San Antonio office, lives in Buda. And we were talking about the 10-year treasury. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to accept that a 1.60% yield on a 10-year treasury is going to be attracting assets out of the stock market because a 1.6% yield doesn't even keep up with monetary inflation even the most conservative calculation from the federal reserve we have monetary inflation around 1.8 1.9 that doesn't even keep up with monetary inflation i guess it's just my frustration that the financial entertainment press and it's important for all of our listeners to understand the financial entertainment press is constantly looking for an excuse or an explanation as to why the markets are doing what they're doing 
And really, so a lot of times it comes down to there was more buyers than sellers one day or more sellers than buyers. But they have to come up with a reason and an explanation to sell advertising. And so this, this conversation that the 10-year treasury, yes, a 60% move in its yield as a percentage movement, that's huge. But I'm sorry, a 1.6% 10-year treasury yield is not going to be putting any retiree on easy street. Well, you'd be able to retire maybe and afford a cup of coffee, some top ramen, <laughs> exactly. and maybe some of that really cheap chicken you can get at HEB. That's, so, that, that's, that's right. You are. But, so, so to put the move in interest rates in perspective, even though we've had this six-tenths of a percent rise from 1% to 1.6% yield on the 10-year treasury so far in 2021, we're still not back to where we've started 2020. Which yeah. is around a two percent yield on on the ten year treasury. Now, the, the, the can I can I throw out a question? Yeah. Can I just throw out a question? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to throw out a question. What percentage, what yield on a ten year treasury do you think would really truly be attracting assets out of the stock market going into the bond market for a longer term hold, Joe? Well, we we mentioned this two or three or four shows ago. And it, it hovers around whatever the inflation rate is. And you're going to have to actually get a better yield than what you're paying. Well, you, okay, so let's say it's two. So, so, what, so what percentage, Joe, do you think a 10-year treasury need to be to truly attract assets for there to be an asset shift away from equities, stocks, into bonds? Well, I think it has to be more than just a yield that's greater than inflation. I think it has to be some sort of a spread over inflation. And then the question is, what what is inflation? Is it the government's measure? And next week, we're going to get the consumer price index and the producer price index. And there's been a lot of hand-wringing here of late that, that one of the reasons why interest rates are going higher is because there's a great concern that uh, we're going to have substantially higher rates of inflation. Now, if anybody's bought a gallon of gas here in the last couple of weeks, it should be pretty obvious the gasoline prices have gone up uh, here of late. Thank you, uh, Biden administration. Okay, maybe some of that. Some of that. Does some of that have to do with the current administration's policies or proposed policies or soon to be enacted policies? I don't know. Or is it a function of increased economic activity? Or is it a function of decreased production in the oil fields? Or is it a function of all three? Yes, Joe. Well, and Jeff and I are talking about this Friday a little bit. And I was talking to a couple of business owners in the San Antonio area that we manage our 401k accounts. And you look at the price of lumber. If you're building a house right now, this is obviously has to do with COVID. It has a little bit to do, obviously, with, with, with what we had in Snowmageddon, as you call it. But lumber prices have doubled or tripled in some instances. So the housing market's pretty red hot right now with low inventory. So you're seeing some of this, but is it sustainable? And that's what Powell was talking about the other day, that this could be, there could be some temporary inflation while the economy gets back on track. Just as there's going to be, just as there's going to be periods of time when the rate of, you know, when a yield on 10 year treasury increases at a faster pace than it normally otherwise does. Right. 
there'll be but, these but fits. There'll be these fits and starts. Sure. You know, it's interest rates are going to be moving irregularly higher until they're until they don't move irregularly higher. And but, and we've been waiting. We've been waiting on this, and we thought that we were starting. You know, we we got into a, a rising rate environment. I think back in two thousand and eighteen, and then two thousand and nine. You know, then the rates to start went down, went down, and came back up a little bit. And then well, COVID we hit. A, and then COVID hit, and we got to you know three tenths of a percent yield just a year ago. I mean, I mean that's where. I mean, a year ago now. On the, March the 9th, and, today, and as we're recording the show, is March the 5th. It's going to air on March the 6th. On Tuesday of next week marks the one-year anniversary of the lowest 10-year yield in the history of 10-year yields, 0.31%. And we're, we might be 5, 6, we, I don't think we're going to be at 1.8% by Tuesday, but we're definitely five, yeah, we're five times that yield that we were a year ago. Uh, but does that mean, like you said, Kyle, how much money is going to be attracted to a one and a half percent ten-year Treasury yield for long-term investors? And I don't think there, there, there's not going to be a lot of long-term investors rushing to put money out. To me, a ten-year Treasury yield has to start with a number three. But okay, to, but to really but- to really get me want, wanting us as as allocators of assets to to want to make longer-term asset allocation decisions away from stocks and into fixed-income instruments. But this, is, but, 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 this is, but this is what the financial entertainment press, just where, where it doesn't make sense. When interest well, that's rates why are going, we're here. That's know, why we have this show. So let's think about this. So if money is coming out of bonds, they're selling bonds, interest rates go higher because – Interest rates and prices of bonds run in opposite directions. If yields are going higher, prices are going down. If yields are going lower, prices are going up. So we know that if interest rates are going up, that means money is coming out of bonds. Where is that money going? Is it going on the sidelines? Maybe. But, but then the question would be, if, if you're selling bonds because you fear higher inflation, what is the best investment to combat monetary inflation? The stock market. So why are stocks also selling when interest rates are moving higher? That's well, what I'm, I'm sure I'm, some of our listeners and investors are thinking. How does this make sense? Money's coming out of bonds. Okay, well hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to take a little bit of, of I'm going to take a little bit of issue with your premise, Kyle, because interest rates don't go up just because people are selling bonds. Interest rates go up because investors demand more yield from an instrument. Because okay. there's it's because, a combination because. because there, there, there has to be more bonds in circulation today than there were a year ago. Because look at the look at our debt. Look at the debt we have as a country. We're getting ready to put another two trillion potentially in uh, stimulus into the into the uh, economy. And where is that money coming from? It's going to be coming from, <clears throat> pardon me, the sell debt issues. The sell debt issues. So there's going to be more supply. And so when you have more supply of something and maybe not necessarily the greatest people are going to demand higher yields to be up to want to buy that security if we've got all this all this new supply coming in on the fixed income side so i think it's more of a it's more of a function of we've got to get the debt sold and investors are saying okay well if you want to get this debt sold i want higher yields for my money i'm not willing to accept one percent yield on a ten-year treasury or less. I want something more. 
Now, that's yes, there are probably people also selling longer maturity bonds and moving into shorter maturity bonds, and we'll talk more about that after we go, after we come back from the break. Okay, and we'll do that after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So any listener just tuning in, let's just catch you up. Just kind of going over the moves that we've seen in interest rates and Jeff going into a good education and explanation with uh, the interest rate movements that we've seen, the almost 60% move in the 10-year Treasury yield from the beginning of the year, moving from 1% to close to 1.60% year-to-date, uh, but also, you know, what affects these interest rates. And, you know, again, back to my point that if, if investors are truly concerned about inflation, one of the best ways to combat inflation is owning stocks. It's not owning bonds. It's owning stocks. I mean, that's the place, that's what you need in your portfolio that's going to give you the growth potential. Just like at Davidson Capital, we're a balanced manager. So every portfolio we manage has high-quality fixed income or bonds as the foundation to the portfolio, but we buy it for safety and income. We utilize the stock or equity side of the portfolio for growth, that's capital appreciation, which will lead to helping outpace monetary inflation over the life of the account. So again, if the financial entertainment press is hand-wringing about potential inflation, then it almost seems counterintuitive that the stock market would be selling off, would it not? Well, given given how much the Violence. market given how much the market has moved in terms of appreciation since in, in the last year. I mean, it's a, it's a substantial move. And higher interest rates, even though they're still historically low, the fact that the velocity at which interest rates have been increasing. It's fast. It, it's, it's, it's got, you know, how many algorithmic trades have been, are tied to the 10-year treasury and the, the uh, relationship between treasury yields and S&P 500 dividend yields? Uh, or, or, there was, or, or stock valuations. Or well, you know, you know, look at look at what the Nasdaq has done. You know how much it's gone up. That that whole movement of money into the quote unquote stay at home trade. All those companies that benefited from the quote unquote stay at home trade. Well, if you've got an economy that's opening up, then there is some thinking that well, maybe the stay at home trade might not be as popular as it has been, and and. There, to say that, that there's a lot, there's a big crowd of money in these big tech stock names, us included. Sure, there's all kinds of money in those tech stocks, and some of that money is going to come out, and some of that money is going to seek other asset classes. We've been talking about, you know, how well growth did last year versus how well versus how poorly value did this year last year, and now this year it's the exact opposite. Growth all has negative performance year-to-date, whether it's large cap, 
mid-cap, small-cap going into Thursday. Some of that may have been made up on Friday. But if you look at the growth, the growth indexes, they're negative. The value indexes, positive. Small-cap doing better than mid-cap, doing better than large-cap. It's just the exact opposite of last year. Now, is this a trend? This is where we get back to that question. Is it a trend or, or is trade. it a trade? Mm-hmm. Is higher is interest rates moving up at six tenths of a percent every two months a trend that's going to continue or a trade? I don't think it's a trend that's going to continue. And if it did at that pace, then there might be a situation where the Federal Reserve may step in like they have in the past and execute what they call Operation Twist. Which, which they explain have, which to the listeners. Operation, what that means. Operation Twist is the simultaneous, the Federal Reserve simultaneously uh, selling short maturity bond instruments, typically governments and mortgage backed securities. This is like one year and under, and buying long maturity instruments, 10 years plus. And the effect of that uh, intervention, if you will, is that it lowers longer-term interest rates while simultaneously raising shorter-term interest rates, which has the effect of reducing the slope of the yield curve. Flattening it. Flattening it. Now, does that, did, did, chairman, did the chairman say anything about this in the week just past that they were considering doing this? No. Did, no will, they, wish- will, they, will they telegraph to the markets that they're going to do it? No, they're not going to do that. I'm not saying that they're actually going to or not, but if interest rates on the long maturity end move up faster than the Federal Reserve wants, they can come in and make adjustments, and that'll have that'll have effects short-term in the markets. Everything we've been talking about today, for the most part, is short-term movements in the market. It's not long. Yes, Joe? What do you I, want? I want to hit on this for a second. Okay. So if you look right. at Friday – so you look at Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. What happened Thursday? They interviewed Powell. He talked about short ter- about uh, uh, inflation being temporary. targeted. We yeah, get that. Temporary. Then the markets expected po- possibly for him to to do a twist and do or exactly, talk about it, or even exactly talk about what it. Jeff talked about. So the market yeah. didn't like that, and it sold off today. Uh, uh, rather Friday, Friday morning. What was the th- first thing at seven thirty in the morning? And I'm waking up checking the phone. Was that that we didn't even talk about that yet? Job jobs numbers. Job numbers. The job numbers came out better than expected, and all of a sudden you see the market sell off a little bit, and then all of a sudden the treasury yield right. goes up. The market sells off more. It's At time, term, yeah, it'll drive you nuts if you watch it every day and you're an ordinary investor trying to figure this out. Yeah, at times I've I've coined this the perversion of the markets, where it will where good news is bad news. Bad news is good news. And bad we news talked, is good news. And we talked about that in our strategy meeting on Thursday. We, we were we were meeting late after the market on on Thursday evening, and we that was our big conversation. Are we going to see the perversion where good news is bad news? Well, once those good news numbers came out at the very beginning of the of the of the trading session on Friday, the perversion was there. But mm-hmm. then we started to see the buying come back in because, not to get too deep in the weeds, technically. If you look at the S&P 500, and I've texted this to you guys, is that we have a line in the sand of the S&P 500 at 3,695 points. That's the line in the sand. And that the S&P, even during this corrective move over the last couple of weeks, has been holding that line. 
and as of Friday's close, was able to close back above its 50-day moving average. So 36.95 for any of our technical listeners or technical traders, we've identified 36.95 on the S&P 500 as kind of the proverbial line in the sand. If we can hold the line in the sand, then I think the markets will get through this corrective phase. So if you've got your buy list ready to start dollar cost averaging in, we break below 36.95, then we could be looking at a pullback to the October corrections of 2020. Right. I mean, that's just what the technicals are saying. Just the technicals. Yes. Yeah. So, so from a from a news standpoint, next week, I think I'd mentioned it before. We have we have the consumer price index and the producer price index. Uh, Wednesday and Friday, respectively. So there's going to be great focus placed on the inflation numbers. And there will be a market reaction if these numbers are a little hotter than what's expected. We don't, I don't think we have much from the Fed next week. I don't know where if Powell's speaking anywhere. We're really at the tail end of, of earnings. There's not a lot happening in terms of earnings. And you know the other thing I was that I had mentioned this on Friday morning to you guys, or maybe the day before, that I was wondering if the employment number was hot enough, meaning the number of jobs created was more than expectations to such an extent that the politicians in Washington might be less motivated to push through another multi-trillion-dollar uh, relief package because the numbers continue to get better and better on the employment side. Now, I haven't heard – the only thing I heard is that, that it's still, it still held up over some unemployment benefits, um, <clears throat> uh, some more weekly. debate over, over yeah. the weekly unemployment benefit changes. But I think we're pretty much all in agreement that they're going to get something through. Jeff, have you market, ever noticed – market, the, well, have you ever known a politician that doesn't want to spend our tax money? I mean, that's all they want to do. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. Well, One real side real spends real a little bit more than the other, typically. I, I but. have a point about that. And, and, and Friday, keeping up with the news, there's a reason why it's $1.9 trillion. And it's a reason why I'm not going to well, – I'll get political. The Democrats want to push us across the goal line. Who is on – uh, Biden's staff right now from an economic advisory standpoint. A lot of Obama holdovers. Part of the reason they want all this money to go to the economy is they avoid what happened in 08 when we had really, really abysmal GDP and the slowest recovery since Kyle always talks about it. Was it World War II? World War II. Or Civil with, War. With, or well, well, how about – well, I mean, President Obama – holds the coveted title of the worst GDP growth since Woodrow Wilson going back to the 30s. His eight-year tenure in the White House produced 1.4% annualized GDP growth. That's horrendous. So so you might be right, Joe. You could be right. Biden doesn't want that same moniker because I know that his administration is already breaking its arm, patting himself on the back for having $379,000 jobs created in the month of February and January's numbers being revised to 166, 166,000. So I know he's trying to, you know, take the full credit or whatever, but you know, all he, all his administration has been doing is killing jobs, particularly in the oil field. And net, net, these are all news items that drive the market. That's why sometimes you shouldn't watch TV. Short, well, short term they drive. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take our next, next commercial break. You're listening to money wise with Davidson capital management. Your money wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, I would say today's theme for this weekend's show, is it a trade or is it a trend? And I think that we all are on the show, I think we're to consensus that this is more of a trade than a trend as far as this corrective move in the NASDAQ. We're starting to see some of these valuations come down. I would say that the NASDAQ technically is oversold. So for investors that are light in their equity allocations, maybe light in their allocations of technology, there's definitely been some pullbacks for some buying opportunities. Now, as we always recommend, never go in whole hog. If you're looking to allocate 2% into a particular position, don't do it all at once. Stair step in. I know for us, as we've talked going on for weeks and weeks now in the Money Wise program, we've been continuing to build our barbell, where one end of our barbell is our more momentum growth names, higher valuation stocks. The other end of our barbell are the classic stocks, the mega cap, slower growth, more large cap value, dividend paying stocks. And we still have one more step to take to complete that trade of those new positions. But I think we've, by and large, from the the barbell that we've had in the portfolio has been somewhat more weighted towards the growth side of of, uh, the asset classes and maybe not so much on the value side. And some of the changes that we're contemplating making is, is potentially shifting some of that money away from the growth side into the other side of the barbell, the barbell is still going to be, you know, it's not going to be balanced. It's going to be, maybe it's still a little bit heavy on the growth side, but maybe not as much on the growth side. I don't think that the NASDAQ is going to have uh, another 60% up year like we had last year. And I believe the year before that, it was also another big, big year for the NASDAQ. Maybe this is the year that the NASDAQ doesn't do as well as the the Dow and the S&P. I'm not ready to make that prediction just yet. (laughs) But stay tuned for next weekend's show because who knows after after another week. I am more convinced every day that the 0.31% 10-year Treasury yield that we saw uh, on March the 9th, 2020, was the low yield for our lifetimes. And I continue to – and I do believe that that is still the case – Jeff, I, I would, I, I, I would warn, I would warn investors that are listening to this show to pay close attention to their bond holdings and their, whether they're mutual funds, whether they're in individual bonds. I'm looking at the performance of uh, you know bonds this year. The long end of the of, of the yield curve, which is going to be maturities seven seven to thirty years, those those particular securities are delivering negative returns this year because the print, their principal values have been coming down faster 
than the income that the that those particular instruments are producing and we have we have made a concerted effort for many years in our uh, portfolios where we own individual bonds to keep our maturities uh, uh, shorter uh, we we were looking at our statistics here just this last week doing a little update and our our portfolios are about and on the corporate and our corporate bond individual corporate bond portfolios were about two two year uh, duration, which is probably historically very short for us. Very, very short. But if you look at the performance, you know we're we're basically even for the year, up slightly. We're not getting our portfolios are not as susceptible on the bond side. We're not as susceptible to changes in interest rates because we've made this concerted effort to reduce the the, the duration of our portfolio. And I warn our listeners to look at your bond mutual funds and see what their durations are. If you've got durations of five, six, seven, ten years plus in some of your mutual funds, your bond mutual funds, you have to really think about maybe making a change there. Well, and also if you own exchange share funds, I mean, most, right. I would say a lot of listeners to our program and a lot of bond investors are investing in bonds and mutual funds through mutual funds, whether it's in your 401k, whether it's on your own or in exchange traded funds. And, and Jeff, you hit the nail on the head. We, cause I wanted to talk about that cause we haven't talked about that in quite a period of time. When you're not owning individual bonds, the only thing you can control in the bond mutual funds or exchange traded funds you own is by paying attention to the duration the longer your duration, the more downside risk you face when interest rates are moving higher. And so if 0.31% last year on the 10-year treasury is the lifetime low of the 10-year treasury, we're going to see some gyration. But if we've had almost a 60% move in yields from 1% to almost 1.6% in a 10-year treasury, if you're sitting out in a 20-year duration or a 25-year duration, goodness, I mean, goodness, you've, you've really gotten hit the last few weeks with this movement in interest rates. You're talking 4-plus percent down? In two months, you know, yeah. 4% down, that annualizes out to a pretty, a, pretty, uh, a pretty difficult downturn in your bond portfolio. So, Jeff, you know, theoretically – yeah. Theoretically, the way duration works is let's say you're sitting in a 25-year duration bond mutual fund and interest rates move up 1%. Theoretically, you can lose close to 25% in capital depreciation. And I know that there's this, there's kind of confusion out there. We should probably talk about this a little bit more. I know we're, we're coming up to the top of the hour, but you can lose money in bonds, ladies and gentlemen. I know that there's some investors that have this they're kind of mistaken or they, they just don't realize that you can lose money in bonds and you can lose a substantial amount of money in bond mutual funds. If you have long duration and we're in a rising interest rate environment. So heed Jeff's warning, heed my warning, Joe's warning, pay attention, go to morningstar.com, put in your symbol of your bond mutual funds or ETFs and pay attention and look at your duration. And you also need to be paying attention if you own any high yield bonds, high yield uh, mutual, high yield bond mutual funds. Also. So there's a lot of free tools out there. So listen to us now, believe us later, just check your duration because that's the only thing you can control when you own bonds through mutual funds or ETFs. 
Kyle, I wanted to say before we conclude this weekend show that the Corpus Christi office has moved to a new location, 5350 South Staples, Suite 434. It's on our website at davidsoncap.com. Our phone number remains the same. I just want to get that out there. We just moved here in the last week. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So for Money Wise listeners on 1200 WAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. If you'd like to catch a second hour or past Money Wise shows, you can go to davidsoncap.com and click on the radio show link. For Money Wise listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as as we like to utilize every second hour of the Money Wise program going into investor education, and any longtime listeners of the program know that we definitely love our top ten lists. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of an ode to uh, to David Letterman. Uh, but we have a top ten list for this afternoon's show called the Ten Myths of Retirement Planning. And so we'll dive right in with myth number one. And that first myth is you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. Now, this, I would say the financial entertainment press, the legacy distribution system for Years and years and years, as long as I've been in the business, which you know for me is coming up on 16 years I've been doing this, they have the kind of industry standard that you only need 70 to 80% of what you're currently earning while you're working in retirement to maintain your lifestyle once you are in retirement. And, you know, very honestly, what I try to educate prospective clients uh, that come in here to Davidson Capital Management is that we don't abide by that 70 to 80% of your current income in retirement to maintain your lifestyle. In fact, most instances I say you need 95 to 100% of what you're currently earning now. You need to be able to withdraw that same amount of money in retirement from your nest egg in order to maintain your lifestyle because the one, I think, variable that the legacy distribution system doesn't uh, – 
calculate doesn't uh, put into their calculation or account for is the fact that what's the one thing that you have a heck of a lot more of in retirement than you do during your working years? Leisure time. That's right. You have a lot more leisure time, so you have more time to travel. If you're into hunting, fishing, golfing, those are not cheap hobbies by any stretch of the imagination. Or now you're getting into new hobbies that take more time and more money. And so, you know, that myth that you don't need as much money in retirement as you do right now, again, I think is a complete myth and it's complete bogus. Do you want to add something, Jeff? Well, Go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say, also medical expenses. That's the one thing that uh, that's really the X factor, the unknown factor as you get older because that's, that's definitely going up. Well, that's true. We don't know the, the inflationary costs of medical care. Obviously, as you get older, you need more and more attention from healthcare professionals. Uh, but I think something else, Dad, that, that's a big unknown that's out there, and I think um, – I'm not even going out of limb on saying this, but with with the deficits that we currently face and the national debt, I mean, to say that taxes are going to be going down in the future, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And so I think retirees are folks that are working towards retirement and building their nest egg. That's something that they need to keep keep in the back of their mind is, you know, they shouldn't anticipate, oh, well, I'm going to only have a 10 or 12 percent effective tax rate in retirement because nobody knows what their tax rate is going to be, and again, we're assuming that taxes will be going up as far as the eye can see because of the deficits, because of the national debt that we have. I think maybe turning this myth around and turning it into a question is something that we at Davidson Capital Management do time and again when we're meeting with prospective clients, and they ask this question, well, what do you think the portfolio can produce an income in retirement. They may maybe the, the maybe you don't know exactly what you think you will need, but maybe if you had an estimate of what the what your portfolio might produce if you were to retire right now or if you were to retire say 10 years from now at a certain rate of return based on the portfolio nest egg that you have right now and then apply our maximum withdrawal rate here that we have at our firm of 7% a year and say, do you think this number will be enough money for you to retire on uh, when you reach retirement years? Let's say that the, the that they bring a portfolio of a certain size, and we and we estimate that it'll grow at seven to eight percent a year for another ten years. And the number we start off with is a million dollars. We'll just round it off. Well, at our maximum rate of withdrawal, that's seventy thousand dollars a year, seven percent of a million dollars. So. Is is seventy thousand? Do you think seventy thousand dollars a year, based on a one million dollar portfolio, will be enough to keep your lifestyle where it is right now? If we find that there's that the the client is spending a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year on their lifestyle, then seventy thousand dollars in retirement. We're not even taking into account any Social Security, of course might not be enough to support their current lifestyle. So now we now we got to now we got to look at okay, are we going to start saving more now to increase that nest egg size so that we can get a little closer to uh, to that target uh income or do we need to think about uh lowering living expenses lowering lowering, lowering liver expenses, lowering expectations uh for income in retirement all three. 
Well, I, Maybe I, think, all three. I think one thing that a lot of retirees can get or pre-retirees can get in trouble is they go in with expectations that, well, my portfolio needs to be designed to where I'm, I'm outperforming the S&P 500 each and every year. And if you're creating a financial plan that takes that scenario in, 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 into effect, that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And by saying that, I need to have my portfolio outperforming the S&P each and every year. It's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic. And the one, one of the big problems that pre-retirees have going into maybe a professional asset manager relationship is they have unrealistic expectations. And what they need to do is they need to establish a goal, a plan. You know, my goal for this money is to grow 8% per year. Like you said, Jeff, let's sit down and work out a plan. And what are your goals? And say, okay, if you only need to earn 7 maybe 8% annualized over, you know, after all fees and expenses for a lengthy period of time, let's say the next 10 or 15 years to have a comfortable retirement, then that's really what you should focus on and how you should position your portfolio and allocate it. But if you're the type of investor that's like, i got to beat the S&P each and every year, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure because it is next to impossible to do. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to take a different approach. That's that's one type of client that we see uh, here at Davidson Capital, but there's also another type I want to talk about when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're focusing on the second hour of this weekend's program, the 10 myths of retirement planning. We're actually still working on myth number one. Uh, that myth, again, uh, you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. And so we were talking before we went to break about setting goals, and having appropriate goals in place and appropriate expectations in place with your nest egg as you're going into retirement. And, Jeff, I know you wanted to add a little bit to that. Well, that is that is one – we see this that this type of scenario with some prospective clients that are looking for maximum performance. They're, they're, they're very much focused on performance, and we understand that. But I think – Another type of client that we that we're seeing, and maybe this is an offshoot of of the, of the new target date funds that have been out here for about the last ten years, and that's this assumption that as I get closer and closer to retirement, I need to have more and more of my money in in bond investments and in fixed income investments, and less and less in stock because I need to be taking less risk. And so, by having more money in fixed income, well, that would be traditionally saying, well, I'm taking less risk. Well. That's all fine and good in a normal interest rate environment. And I use that in quotations. As, but this is not a normal interest Definitely rate Definitely not normal. And we have not had a normal interest rate environment for a very long time. And it appears that we may not have a normal interest rate environment for a number of years into the future. So... <clears throat> Having a asset allocation strategy 
that as I'm approaching retirement, I need to have less than what we would recommend an, uh, an allocation in stocks in the current rate environment and more of an allocation to bonds, but yet still have a uh, expected rate of return of 8% is not realistic. Mm-hmm. Is not realistic at all. And so m- maybe the two tie together is about having realistic expectations and understanding that in order to deliver those expectations, you have to have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds based on the existing current interest rate environment. Yes, Steph? Well, just say we were looking at a traditional balanced account, which in the old days would be 60% stock, 40% bond. Well, if you're at a 10% return in stocks, that means you're going to get 6% from your stock side of the portfolio. The problem is the 40% that would be sitting in bonds with a 10-year bond, you know, slightly, you know, less than three, you're you're not getting up to the 7%, which we have seen is a safe withdrawal rate going back our 25 years. But And it's because of the bond component. The bond component right now is changing the math on what people need for retirement. But I don't think the retirees are picking up on that fact, Dad. I, I don't think they are. And when you're talking about target date funds putting more money into bonds as people approach retirement, what is the most dangerous asset class out there right now? It is bonds. Fixed income. Because we don't know very how few the people Fed, say it. Very, very few people would say that. No, I, nobody would say that. I don't think other than people that run bonds like us. We either know, than us. Either we, than us. We know, we know that it's dangerous. You get the Bill Grosses of the world that come out and say it's a new normal. They don't want to come out and say it's a new bubble. They don't want to say the bubble word connected with bonds. So are we moving on to myth number two? Myth number two. Myth number two. My retirement years won't last that long. The fact is, today's today, individuals in their 50s and 60s, of course, are generally healthier than previous generations. So if you're 65 years old right now, your life expectancy is approximately 21 years. And... With a life expectancy of 21 years means that you have a 50% chance of dying by year 21 and a 50% chance of living longer. So if you're 65 right now, you have a 50-50 chance of, of living past 86 years old. And so that, again, goes along with creating that plan and having your goals and realizing, is my nest egg sufficient enough to sustain me till I'm 86 or till I'm 95. And if you and have, nobody knows. And if you have a 7% rate of withdrawal in your portfolio and you've got a 100% fixed income earning you 2%, you're not going to get there. It's not it may not last 21 years. You know, as I always as I say to prospective clients, if we all knew when the last day on this earth would be for each one of us, man, retirement planning would be so much easier, but unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, we don't know when that day is going to be. Myth number three, you can afford to start planning for your retirement a few years before your retirement date. In fact, it is never too soon to begin planning for retirement. Time is one of the most powerful tools in the accumulation of wealth. The sooner you start to accumulate assets and plan for your retirement years, the better, the less you will need to set aside each year in order to achieve the same objective. Now, I've talked about this over and over and over again for a number of years using the example of someone that was just fresh out of college that just graduated just got their diploma and they get their first job and if they had a if they this 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 1 million dollar 
goal to have in your in your retirement years. You start off your retirement with a one one million dollar nest egg. If you started saving when you were twenty one, twenty two years old, and you save for forty years to get to sixty two, the you would have to save what amounts to about a, skipping lunch every day, brown going bagging out, it, brown, by brown bagging it, going to work about about eight dollars a day. It's like two hundred and fifty dollars a month. If you save that amount of money at twenty two years old and you never change it, you would accumulate and you would accumulate about a million dollars at an eight percent compounded rate of return. You know what our listeners can do? They can just go into Google and Google the term time value of money and read the explanation. I mean, it's very, very simple. And, and again, if you're someone who's in their 40s, maybe in their early 50s, and you haven't started saving for retirement, I mean, this is when you need to buckle down and start putting the pedal to the metal uh, to, to try to save as much as possible. It's never too late. As we've always said on the radio show, pay yourself first. But this myth number three rolls right into myth number four for those individuals that have failed to plan for their retirement, and that myth number four is that Social Security will provide enough income for my retirement years. Bottom line, Social Security accounts for approximately 38% of the average retirement of the average retiree's income. So, uh, you know, you're you're talking, you know, 62% that still needs to be made up. And 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 again, to be very blunt. If you're relying on the federal government to take care of you in retirement, again, you are setting yourself up for failure. We all know the Social Security system is broken. It needs a substantial overhaul. Um, The fact that Social Security benefits with cost of living adjustments, or COLA for short, have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years. if you're one of those individuals that's just relying on Social Security to take care of you, again, you're planning for failure in your retirement years and possibly working to the day that you die. You have to start planning and you have to start putting away. You know, if you follow myth number three, then you're going to wind up falling into the trap of myth number four. So myth number five, I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. Boy, this is extremely, extremely dangerous to think that a traditional pension or defined benefit plan is going to take care of you throughout the rest of your retirement years. And, and again, as, as we all know, uh, with the invention of the 401K through the Tax Reform Act of 1978, this is where corporate America has been going. They've been shifting away from the defined benefit plan. So there might only be a handful of listeners of this weekend's program that have the luxury of having a defined benefit plan. But we have always recommended at Davidson Capital Management that if you have the ability to take a cash lump sum distribution from your pension, and the, and the way that you can do that is, first off, your pension has to have over an 80% a funding rate by the corporation to take a 100% lump sum, and then if it has a 60 to 80% funded rate from the corporation, you can take a partial lump sum distribution, and then any pension that's less than 60% funded, you're going to have to take the pension payment. And I know, you know, one particular organization here in town 
that falls in that category of having an underfunded pension. But, you know, the one thing that they don't tell you when they give you the options that you can select at time of retirement, whether to take a lump sum or to take the annuity payments from your pension, is that these pension payments are not adjusted for inflation. So maybe that fifteen hundred. So that fifteen hundred dollars that you started receiving in your pension on month one and year one is going to be buying a heck of a lot less goods and services ten years from now. And I think that's one area that retirees forget that monetary inflation is eroding your purchasing power. And once you start taking that pension payment, there's no going back. You're done. You're locked out. That's what you're going to be getting for the rest of your life. And it's not adjusted for inflation, so each and every month that goes by, you're going to be able to buy a little less goods and services. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind, and that's one main reason, one huge reason why we recommend to take a lump sum distribution, if you can, from your traditional pension. With that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this hour about the 10 myths the ten myths of retirement planning. Um, we've gotten to myth, and we came to the bottom of the hour break. We're on myth number five, uh, which was I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. And as we went to break, was talking about what we recommend to prospective clients at Davidson Capital Management when you can take the lump sum distribution from your pension to do that, for one, so you now have full, complete control of those assets. Also, so you can put those assets to work for you in an allocation model that can provide you with growth and something that's going to be appropriate for you to help make that money last your entire uh, lifespan in retirement, but also to help combat, combat monetary inflation. Because, again, that's one thing that the pension provider is not going to tell you at a pre-retirement meeting is that once you annuitize that pension and start taking that monthly check, that's the check that you're going to continue to receive. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. And so that $1,500, as an example, that you start receiving each and every month will buy less goods and services as every month goes by. So imagine, and think of it very easily, will $1,500 20 years ago buy the same amount of goods and service as it does today? No, because of monetary inflation. That is the one thing that is not discussed enough with pre-retirees. It's one aspect uh, of the market that, that individuals don't think about a lot and why I've always been a big advocate that every brokerage statement across this country should have a notation of what monetary inflation was for that reporting period so they realize, oh, I did lose a little bit of value in my CD because of monetary inflation or I lost value of my money sitting in cash in the bank vault because of monetary inflation. It, it affects pensions the exact same way. So myth number six, Medicare will take care of my health insurance. And 
I'm glad that this is on the list of myths because this is a conversation I have when I go through my financial road mapping exercises with clients. When we work with our clients that are working towards that retirement, I don't want to say retirement goal line. I would say retirement is the 50-yard line. So as they're working to the 50-yard line of the field to go into retirement, when I start, ha- when I have our clients work on their monthly budgets. I always want them to put in some type of figure for supplemental insurance to Medicare. I always tell our clients that do not rely 100% on Medicare. And you know the bottom line is, is that Medicare pays less than a half of a typical retiree's medical bills and that you have to have a supplemental plan. And, Dad, I mean, you're, absolutely. you're an absolute authority on this. No, no, because, no, that's, you're absolutely correct, Kyle. And so I always want to build into a retirement budget, and this is, again, an exercise for any pre-retiree that's working on their monthly budget to include, what do you pay, around four uh, $500 a month? It's getting more and more expensive. It is, okay. So your supplemental plan is getting more and more expensive. So I would say... And we've already reduced one of the portions of it. So would you say for a pre-retiree to maybe work in four to maybe $600 a month for that supplemental policy? Uh, Or even more? uh, Actually, it's going to to start to be more than that. Really? Yes. That's what it is. Maybe six to to $800? It's it's getting there. It's getting there. So the bottom line is, is that... Well, the problem is, at this point in time... Because of Obamacare, we, we don't totally know the effects yet. You know, th- this has not got through the system. And the other thing that doesn't come out in this that they won't tell you is you're not going to see all the same health professionals you saw before. Not every doctor wants Medicare patients. That's true. And so there's instances where your, your specialists are going to change. That's, not all, that's another myth, too. Is that you may You're not, adding myth number eleven. You, you may be going <laughs> you, to San Antonio to see someone you want to see. Myth: You can keep all of your current healthcare yes. providers. Yeah, that that's not myth. even that's your not, primary care. That's positions. not true on Medicare, much less Obamacare. So anyone working out a monthly budget pre-retiree, they need to figure in a health insurance cost, even if you're going into Medicare, because you're going to have to have that supplemental policy. Uh, myth number seven, all my assets are in safe vehicles for long-term accumulation and do not need to be watched closely. What the heck are I mean, safe vehicles for long-term accumulation? What do, what do they mean is, by that? There is none. Well, I, I know an annuity salesman would say this annuity, yes. this indexed annuity, th- this variable annuity, that's that's safe. It's quote-unquote guaranteed. That talk should have ended Hardy in 08 or 09. I mean, they, they might be talking about... Certificates of deposit, yes. or government bonds, yes. But those safe That's vehicles it. for long-term accumulation aren't accumulating a whole lot. I was in, about in, to say in, they, in today's interest rates, they need to define what is accumulation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very loose term. Something right less there. than one percent is not accumulating to me. I, I mean, the, the the bottom line: anyone going into retirement with, oh, I've got everything in CDs, I've got everything in my money market account, I'm, I've got everything in fixed income, I'm safe, I can go on my trips, on my vacations, I can go play with the grandkids and the family, I don't have to think about it, don't have to worry about it. If you don't work with an investment professional who has discretionary control and is a registered investment advisor to manage those assets for you, then you're the portfolio manager. and you cannot- Well, there is a portfolio manager. Whether you hire one or not, you've hired yourself. 
That's right. Yeah, that that means that you're the portfolio manager and you cannot fall asleep behind the wheel and following this methodology of oh, I'm safe, I don't need to watch it closely. Again, setting yourself up for failure. This is why we've always used the Money Wise program to educate and to enlighten pre-retirees and retirees that you always have to be vigilant in your portfolio whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with an investment professional, it's something that has to be paid attention to. Well, I mean, you are the portfolio manager on your 401k plan. That's right. That That's right. If you don't have a self-directed brokerage option, and, and again, that brings up another important point, something that a lot of 401k plans don't talk about, is in-service distribution options for participants in 401ks that are age 59 and a half and older. If you're planning on working another five or six years, guess what? At 59 and a half, you have the ability to hire an investment professional, roll your 401k assets out into a self-directed IRA that you can now get professionally managed. And for someone who's amassed 500, 600, 800, a million dollars in their 401k and they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing in their own account, this is when you might want to start looking at your options as you're continuing to work and participating in the 401k for looking at a self-directed, either a self-directed or an in-service distribution option in the 401k. Um, So myth number eight, I can always use the equity in my home to add to my retirement income. Well, this might have been a thought pattern prior to the housing collapse back from 2006 and 2007, and with home values just starting to come back and well, revive. You know, they're bubbling up in here. There's no question about that. They, they are, depending upon what part of the country you live in. Um, but again, as we've always educated and always talked about here on the Money Wise program, is that you should view your house as where you live. Do not view it as an investment. If you have your house paid off, yeah, you have equity built into it. It's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type thing. But if you're developing a financial plan in retirement that revolves around taking a reverse mortgage out or taking a home equity line of credit out and and living off of the equity bills into your house, again, you're planning and setting yourself up for failure. And again, with the financial crisis back in 08, which again, housing market had a lot to lent itself to to that financial crisis. There's a lot of folks that still could be underwater, have zero or very little home equity. Uh, So we always say don't look at your house as a piggy bank. Look at your house as where you live. And if you have equity built into it, fantastic. But don't include it in a financial plan that, hey, this is a register that I'm going to be able to ring if I need to. Anything else you wanted to add? Myth number nine. If need be, my family can always help me out. This is my plan. <laughs> well, that's myth number nine. Yeah, right? that, that's myth. That's myth you say number myth nine. Number one. Yeah, myth number nine. The fact is that many people use this as an excuse for de- delaying retirement planning, but in reality, no one wants to rely on other family members to help them out financially to fund their retirement years. And if anything, these are the years when you want true financial independence and do not want to feel as if you are a burden on your family. There must be some very interesting Thanksgivings out there. I mean, the fact that this many people could be getting along, I thought it would be the last people that you'd want to rely on would be family members. Well, 
I, I mean, and unfortunately, again, if if you're the type of investor or the lack thereof, not investing, not planning, you know, believing in a lot of these myths that we've already discussed, then you're going to wind up falling into the category where you're going to be looking to your children or looking to other family members to take care of you in retirement and, again, becoming a burden on them. And, and, and I would think that that's, that's not a conversation that any parent wants to have with their child saying, well, hey, Sally, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I hope you have an extra uh, yeah, room in your house. Yeah, I'm going to be, because I did such a poor job planning for retirement, now I'm going to come live with you. How, what do you think about that? Or, or then the parents become a travel agent for guilt trips and say, well, I paid for your college. I did I all this you. for you. I raised you. You owe me this. I would recommend try not to be one of those parents that's a you owe me this kind of parent. You have to do the planning yourself and prepare for your retirement. Well, we're going to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the 10 myths of retirement planning. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we spent the last hour of this weekend's moneywise program going through the 10 myths of retirement planning and we finally arrived at myth number 10 and that myth is money is everything when it comes to retirement planning uh, now, money is important, but it isn't everything because, again, you could have $4 million nest egg saved up, but you're spending $400,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle, and guess what? That nest egg isn't going to last too long. And so you could you could have been a fantastic saver, but if you're going into retirement with a massive amount of debt consumer debt, you know, huge house payment, a bunch of car payments, a lot of toys, high monthly expenses, and and you're leading this very, very extravagant lifestyle, doesn't matter how much you, you, you've saved because you have to pay attention to what you're spending. Yeah. It's about creating a proper balance. And, and, it's, well, and it's pretty rare that we see folks that have accumulated tr- large nest eggs but but also have been have really big spending habits. Usually, it's their nest egg is moderate to maybe a little below average, but they have big spending habits. Well, well what I see also is we'll still see people that save quite a bit of money, and then they get in retirement, and they're way too frugal. They're so afraid they're going to outlive their money, they won't even. Enjoy, real, enjoy yeah. some of the fruits of their labor. I mean, I see well, this it, more. It, it's 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 about a happy medium, a happy balance. But I think that it goes back to your point: is that retirement planning has to stay flexible. You have to be malleable because life can change in the blink of an eye. Markets change each and every day. Allocations can adjust. 
you have to be flexible. This is why we're such humongous advocates against, again, let me repeat, against annuities of any shape or form because it takes away that flexibility right. and that malleability. We're, we're very much against taking, if you if you work for a corporation that offers a, a, a pension plan and you and you take the pension payment and don't take the lump sum. We're very much against taking the pension payment because you're locking yourself in to this amount of money for the rest of your life. It will be never be a penny more or a penny less, and no one knows that that's going to be enough with your right. other retirement income to get through retirement. So, like like Kyle said, and then we we'll reiterate it again: flexibility is the key because markets. Don't stay the same. Life doesn't stay the same. I, I, and, to, and to me, of the ten myths, the one that 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 really I strikes a chord with strikes you strikes a chord. I would not even consider retiring without a supplemental plan to my Medicare. Do not rely on Medicare for your health costs, because that is the one guarantee. I would say you're definitely going to be using as you get older. So it's death, taxes, and increase in medical care, <laughs> increased cost of medical care. Yes. Those are the three now. It's not yeah. just death and taxes. Well, that's right. Inflation and inflation medical Inflation is all – I don't know that I've ever lived in, in two years in a row that we haven't had a pos, positive inflation. We've had inflation practically every year of my life. And, the, and, and if I've been living 48, I have no reason to doubt that the next 48 are going to have inflation also. Now, despite what the government says, current interest, current inflation rates being somewhere less than two percent, I don't know anyone that uh, isn't paying more than two percent for their living expenses, and so I'm a little suspicious of how the government's computing these numbers. And you know, we've always used at least a minimum three percent uh, inflation rate, and so if if you're if you're accumulating assets into retirement. And you unfortunately have received advice or believe that as you approach those retirement years, you should have less and less money in stocks and more and more money in a in fixed income or bond investments. There isn't a bond investment out there that has a uh, that is uh, what we would consider to be investment grade that's yielding more than three percent unless you go way way out well, there's the no one yielding seven and we're talking about in our experience our 25 years we've seen where you can take seven percent out of a balanced portfolio and still have a portfolio of the size still, but you what started I'm, with. yeah but what I'm saying yeah. is is that greater than the size you, you can't even with. get a fixed income investment that we would consider investing in that's investment grade that even reaches what we believe is is at least the minimum true rate of inflation. No, and, and, and again, everyone's inflationary rate is different, but if you're going into retirement anticipating that your inflationary rate's going down, not with medical care costs. No. Not with medical care costs. I don't think medical, co- Medicare costs are growing at, at 3% or less a year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in, I think it goes college tuition, medical costs. And those are and the, probably and that, high single-digit rates of inflation. For for tuition, it's actually I've seen I've seen statistics it's double digits, with 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 college costs. So, you know the, the the bottom the bottom line is is that you have to prepare, you have to plan. As I've always tried to educate on this program, that if if you're listening to the show and you're six months, twelve months out 
from retiring. This is when you need to start getting on the horse and start interviewing investment professionals that you might be interested in working with, finding out what they have to offer, seeing how they work with their clients, find out if they're taking discretionary control and are acting as a fiduciary, as a registered investment advisor does like we do here at Davidson Capital Management, or are they only going to sell you investment products and do what's suitable for you, which does not which does not mean putting your interests in front of their own or the firm that employs them, you need to start doing that work in advance. Do not get caught behind the eight ball. I don't know how many times I've talked about it on this show, but since we're talking about retirement planning, I always want to bring this up. You know, I've met with some folks that get caught behind the eight ball and they're scrambling to try to figure out who they're going to work with they wind up making a very hasty decision because they sat in one sales presentation said wow that sounds good they threw around the word guaranteed a lot and guaranteed this rate of return and guaranteed that and all these guarantees well i'm just going to sign on the dotted line and then they're toast their portfolio is toast and they're locked into something they've lost their flexibility they lost their flexibility and the bill of goods that was sold to them was completely false smoke and mirrors and then they wind up regretting that and then a lot of times we wind up working with these people where we're having to unwind these hasty decisions that they made and sometimes can cost them quite significantly and it can't be done overnight exactly and it can't be done overnight so you know again you have to plan you have to prepare do not get sucked in to these myths and if there's anything that we can do for you at Davidson Capital Management, you want to talk about your your financial situation, give us a call, 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.